0: I think That's all I have by way of announcement. So I'll invite you to open a Bible to the book of Galatians, where we will read the first five verses of Galatians chapter 6. This is on page 975, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. And uh, what we are doing as a church family is uh, going through a series of what is articulated in our mission statement to love God, to care for all people, and to communicate His Word. But for the month of June, we have been going through what we mean when we say to care for all people, and that's articulated also back in the Welcome Center in this document of what we commit as a congregation of people, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been given, to use the varieties of gifts that we've been given for the common good, and then today, by restoring repentant believers in a spirit of gentleness, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. And then next week we're blessed to have the Soby family will be with us, uh, but Scott will just jump into the series and he will finish it off in First Timothy chapter two, one through two, about the importance of prayer in the life of the church. Um, but we hope that you can be with us next week as the entire Sobey family will be here and they'll give us an update on the ministry in Ukraine. And then Scott will have the morning message as well. But here, Galatians chapter six, verses one through five, now, brothers and sisters, if for each will have to bear his own load. And that concludes our reading. One of the difficulties in this series is that each time we're in a passage, we're, we're jumping in like a helicopter and then jumping out and not going through the entire book to give it context. But Paul had just before this in chapter five been describing the difference between walking according to the spirit and walking according to the flesh and all types of problems that we get into when we simply operate within our flesh and simply do what our desires crave and long for rather than submit and yield to what the Spirit would have us to do. But eventually he details what a life yielded to the Spirit looks like. In verse 22 of chapter 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things is no law. And now he turns his attention to say, and those of us who do that and seek to live by the fruit of the spirit to be filled with love and joy and peace and kindness. He challenges us if we see anyone caught in sin, not living according to that way, not manifesting those characteristics that he's just encouraged the whole congregation, not to embrace a posture of, um, if you will, protection and say, oh, we just need to get rid of you because you're not doing this. But that, that's not why Christ has called us into his body. Uh, he has called us into his body in order to be accountability for one another and to come alongside each other in our moments when all of us will yield to our flesh and not walk according to the Spirit. It's actually, uh, it's pretty striking that he says, anyone caught in any transgression." It's fairly total. You know, I prefer it would read, you know, if someone you really like is caught in a certain type of transgression, then do this. But he doesn't. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You need to define what any looks like. You just go back to chapter five and the others when he talks about all the types of sin that are manifested when we live According to the flesh, but it's it's a high charge and calling to say this. Now we don't want to misread it. Um, there are ways to misread the Bible. Not everything that's said in it is immediately intended to be mimicked or followed. Uh, one of our little Bible story books that my boys love to grab and ask me to read is the story of Joseph. And uh, whenever we read the part where it says, you know, and Joseph was Jacob's favorite, you know, son, I'm still waiting for one of them to look up and be like, and who's your favorite? But they haven't asked me yet. Um, and the correct answer would not be to identify one of them, right? We, we can read that and say, I'm not sure the story's going to end well. If, if it's so obvious within the family that the father favors one, that's going to create all kinds of problems. And sure enough, you finish the story of Joseph, and it does create all kinds of problems. And what we read here about catching anyone or someone who's caught in a transgression one of the ways the church has misread this over the years is to confuse what is sinful and what is criminal. The Bible never encourages us to hide or conceal behavior that is criminal. Not everything that is sinful is criminal. And so you can be wandering far from God and not be doing anything legally wrong. But when are wandering far from God also means we are violating the laws of our land. It's not Christian to ignore the authorities that God has put in place because the scripture says that we are to honor the authorities that are in place and we're to honor the laws that have been put in place that we are all citizens of. And that's written in the New Testament when no government official would have claimed any allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them would have been pagan and foreign. And yet the charge is as a body of believers together to hold each other accountable, to help catch each other in sin at times when sinful also means criminal to accept those consequences as part of being good citizens of our land. But even that still, not primarily to do away with someone, but in a desire that what is righteous is upheld and what is evil is condemned And if someone pays the rightful consequences of their behavior to then still think through, how do we restore a person like that to society? So the the ultimate posture remains the same of a desire for restoration, but it's not an ignoring of what is otherwise, um,
1: even by a group
0: of citizens who aren't believers can be identified as criminal behavior. So I just wanna give that caveat to this and not take away still the grandeur of Paul's charge that if anyone caught in any transgression should be restored. The word for restored, uh, it's a profound word. It means, it's the same word that in the Gospels when Jesus is walking around the Sea of Galilee and he sees James and John mending their nets. It's the same word. They are restoring their nets to usefulness. So if you're a fisherman in the first century out on the lake, your primary way of catching your fish is just to cast a large net out and to tie it back up and to see how many things you can get. And so when there are holes in the net, it affects your ability to gather together the fish that you have. So it's not very useful or helpful to just keep throwing it back into the water and the hole keep getting bigger. And so most of the skill of being a fisherman in the first century is knowing how to appropriately mend and care for the net that you have so that it has integrity, it's strong, and nothing gets through it. And so Jesus sees them doing that when he invites them to follow after him. And then to all the disciples who are fishermen, he says, follow after me and I will make you fishers of men. You're going to help catch people. But in catching people, there are certain skills that you need to have. There's certain things that you need to be good at. And the way that Paul now describes the body of believers is that we have to approach to restore those who have been caught in a transgression because when any one member of the body begins to operate in the flesh and not the spirit and begins to sin, it's like the, the tapestry being torn. And it, it's not supposed to be. Things can get through that shouldn't get through. And so Paul is not minimizing the consequences of sin. He's not saying restore him because it's not that big of a deal and it doesn't really cause any harm. He said, no, 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 it causes harm. It it, it slices through the fabric and the integrity is lost when one of the members is not honoring the ways of the Lord. So if anyone is caught in that type of sin, is wandering away from the Lord, it takes the people around to re-support to stretch themselves a little bit more than they were, to overlap with what was there to make it strong again, to add new pieces to the puzzle so that it's strong again, so that the net can capture the fish that it needs. And the mission that we have as a church, we have together as a body. That's part of what we've been emphasizing through this entire series. We haven't been called to live the Christian life alone we have in salvation become part of a new family and our effectiveness in then doing our father's will is something we all have to do together there are aspects of it that we have to do on our own and no one can obey the lord for us but it's also true that in all of our obedience and in all of our effort by ourselves we aren't meant to live in isolation of other people Together, linked arm in arm going forward we can cast a strong net to help catch other people but our collective effectiveness is damaged when we allow sinfulness to go unchecked and people to be held unaccountable and so the language that Paul uses then is to do this restoring and mending in a spirit of gentleness and and you know that right if you get cut anywhere in your body how hard do you want someone to grab you there? Not very. You want someone to come who knows how to be gentle as they're stitching you up or as they're putting a band-aid on as they're restoring that wound. But the cut that has taken place has exposed realities that shouldn't be exposed and it creates a level of pain that we need someone who can come in and gently care for. I remember the first time I ever donated blood you know, they came to the high school, they were doing a blood drive, and someone talked me into it, said, you should do it, and I'll, you know, I'll hang out with you, do it, and it took them three times before they got my vein, (laughs) and as that was happening on this arm, the other person who was with me, she's holding my hand, and she's watching it, and so she starts squeezing my hand, because she can just see what's going on, and I didn't know which one hurt more, her squeezing my hand, or the needle going in and out a couple of times, but every time now, I do have to go to a hospital, I mean, it's just a simple small prayer that I'm like please let it be someone who knows how to do this in one you know one try and it's my responsibility to make sure my veins are visible too so that's helpful but you want someone who knows how to do it but knows how to do it with as little pain to you as possible and that's what Paul is saying sin hurts people It hurts the sinner who's doing it. No one sins without consequences. No one wanders away from the Lord without hurting themselves and hurting other people. And entering into that in a way to say, stop doing that is not to create more hurt or more pain, but to come in a spirit of gentleness. To say, let's help get this back together. Let's help shore this up. Let's make it strong where it's weak. And this needs to be done in a spirit of gentleness. And then all along the way, Paul also says it needs to be done in a spirit of humility. That's why he finishes the next phrase, and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't enter into anyone else's pain or their woundedness and come alongside them with a sense of superiority that you yourself could never be there, that you would never potentially make a mistake like that or you would never be guilty of something like that. No, no as you come alongside them and as you serve them in gentleness. Also maintain what was the whole point of last week in a posture of humility. Maintain that as you love them and care for them. It was part of our discussion this past week at the Wednesday morning Bible study to just accept and realize that we're all capable of sin and like within two minutes. Uh, For me, it seems to come out most when I travel. Um, And I'm in a totally new place. And I just think to myself, I am still just as capable of sin as ever. I really am. I've been living the Christian life for a while. But there's not this sort of accumulation that makes me unable to be stupid in a moment. (laughs) And the moment I stop thinking that that's a reality is when you're on really dangerous ground when you think it's not a problem, I don't need to have safeguards up and I don't need to have protection and accountability around me. And it's a consistent scriptural theme. Be careful, you who think you stand, lest you fall. And more often than not, the people that are able to keep on standing or to get up after they have fallen are those who can look in a mirror and say, I am capable of anything. So I need people around me. I need to be open about who I am, about what I struggle with. And I need to not necessarily surround myself with those who make light of sin, who don't think of the harm that it causes to me and to others, but who have a gift in gentleness to say to me what needs to be said and that I know they're saying it because they love me. And that's together as a body what we are supposed to do for one another, to live that out. Most of the relationships in the world are ones where we don't want people to know where the pain points are and the weaknesses are and we wanna put on our best face. And then the moment something bad happens, the relationship's over. And the challenge of Paul and for all of the New Testament writers is to model a different type of community where we actually know the struggles that each other has. And we show the love and commitment to one another over the long haul to care for one another in spite of those things. And in so doing, we, we live out the goodness, the truth of the gospel, the Christ who came to give his life to die for us, to be the one who was cut for us, to be put in a position of pain for us, to have happen to him what is the reality of what, how sin affects us. And then in the resurrection that we all got to see and hear that he's been made whole again, and that he invites all of us to that same Reality that he has done this for us, he has been broken and wounded for our transgressions, invited us back, he's restored us to service. Most dramatically, in the immediacy of the events, we see it in the life of Peter, who, on the night that Christ was betrayed, denies him three times. And before Christ ascends back into heaven, he makes sure he has a meal with Peter to say, You need to keep serving. Don't let that sin that you know you're guilty of and everyone around you know you're guilty of make you say, well, if I'm guilty of that, I can't ever serve in the church again. I can't ever do this again. No, Christ, before he goes, of all the things he needs to do in that time limited with his disciples, he makes sure that Peter knows he can serve. And he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. That's the term, that's what restoration is. It is being restored back to complete usefulness. Here's a a definition of the word in Greek. Meaning to thoroughly prepare something to meet demands. To put in order or to restore to a former condition. To mend and to repair. Or to prepare and make ready and complete. Complete. Then is used throughout as thoroughly equipping and adjusting Christian character. That's what we long for. All of us in our flesh are disqualified from service in the kingdom. But through the gospel and forgiveness in the gospel and then restoration that comes through loving brothers and sisters who hold us accountable, who know how in gentleness to help reweave the tapestry, that we are then to be restored To service in the kingdom. And that's part of the gift of the body of Christ to each other. You need someone else to tell you that you're restored, that they want you back, that they want you to keep on working. You can give that gift to another person who themselves says, I don't think I can do anything, I'm not sure I can contribute. And what they need are to hear the words of another human being who says, please, just run after the Lord who can make all things new. It's such an amazing promise in the book of Revelation that was pointed out to me recently by others. The promise of the new heavens and the new earth is not that God will make all new things. The promise is that he will make all things new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace, your ability to know everything about us and to see even better than we can the ways in which sin has affected us and harmed us, the damage that it's caused to other people. And we thank you that you are the miracle worker who can restore what is broken, Who can make strong what is weak? Who can make useful what feels like it's been wasted? And we do pray that you would help us as a body of believers to experience this reality together, to love each other enough to, in gentleness, hold each other accountable in areas of weakness or sin. To gently be able to restore one another. And all the while help us to keep a watch on ourselves. To never assume that we're better than anyone or that we don't need anyone's help. And we thank you, Father, that you do hold out the promise for now and eternity to make all things new. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.